Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Jamie Shanks, CEO and founder of Pipeline Signals. In this episode, Jamie shares how his experience building sales for life rolled into Pipeline Signals. We then discussed why social monitoring your accounts is critical in reducing churn, and we wrapped up by discussing some key metrics identified through growing Pipeline Signals, and why 3% of your CRM contacts become obsolete each month. As usual, I'm excited to think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invite. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Jamie is the CEO of Pipeline Signals, a relationship intelligence monitoring platform through LinkedIn. Jamie is also the CEO of Sales for Life and is the best-selling author of Spear Selling and Social Selling Mastery. So my first question for you, Jamie, is what motivated you to start Pipeline Signals? It sounds like it has come out of a pain you faced at Sales for Life. Yeah, absolutely. So for 10 years, we've been training and enabling sellers on social selling as we invented and pioneered the category. But what sellers would do is write us support tickets or ask us, hey, you're teaching us to monitor our customers for people that up and leave and go into prospects. What if you just did this for us? And you know, for when you sell hammers, everything looks like a nail. And so you're, as a, you're a sales enabler, you would say, no, my job is to teach you. But as this continued for years and then COVID hit, it gave us an opportunity to create a do it for you business. And that was the catalyst to, to be able to battle test, A-B test, that we could actually create an internal system to monitor for customers. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned to you this before the show, like this is one of those areas actually like um, before starting, actually the reason starting the podcast was I wanted to start a new business. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do yet. And I explored uh, a lot of different things throughout my time before founding the company after the Avrio. And one of them actually was something like this, uh, like pipeline signals itself, because it came actually out of one of our previous episodes um, on the show where we were chatting about the, one of the biggest reasons for churn being um, your customer champion leaving the organization. And I found that pretty fascinating as well. And then the more I started speaking to uh, guests on the show, this became obviously evident. Like it's, I would say it's top three uh, reasons for churn is when your customer champion 
uh, leaves. So I, I started looking into it a lot. Like I also did pricing and packaging research. I saw that there was a good market for it. There was demand. I was focusing maybe more on the um, retention side of it, but there's obviously the sales opportunity uh, that comes about of it as well. Because if you have a customer champion that was happy with your product and then they end up leaving, they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to need software. Uh, so keeping in contact with them then. Uh, so I'm interested, like, how's it going? Like, uh, where are you at uh, today? Yeah, so uh, we incorporated the business this time last year. So last summer, we took on our first customer in the fall of 2021, we're growing at 20% compounded monthly and uh, compounded monthly growth rate. So we're scaling really quickly. We raised a half a million dollars in pre-seed venture capital, going out to the market to kind of top up that pre-seed slash seed round. And we've we're approaching what you would call product market fit. Um, it's very obvious that what we have created is sticky. We've only had one customer churn in that time. And it's because from your perspective, if you have a CSM, a customer success representative or manager, they need to know not only did somebody walk out the door from their customer base, but then who replaced them? Is that a friend or a foe? And so we're also monitoring competitive intelligence. So the person that's coming into that business, are they from an existing customer so they have a you know a relationship advantage or do they have a relationship disadvantage because that person comes interconnected to a competitor and then as well just also looking at every other promotion within that customer base is there somebody that got promoted that's now part of the buying committee as well Interesting. Yeah, I think like one of the things that hesitated me and the reason for not going in with it, because I definitely felt like there was a good opportunity here, um, was the, the idea of just tracking people uh, like un, not unexpectedly, but unwantingly. Oh, I've kind of lose the words now, but essentially you, you're spying on people as they're in. Like, how does that sit with you? How does it make you feel as well? Yeah. And the most important to think about is this is not just the tracking of those uh, within a company. It's actually an account-based sales development motion. What we're looking at is the entire buying committee or what's known as the ideal customer profiles that make up whether a priority is going into a business or going out of a business. So we're tracking multiple job roles and functions to help you determine, is there change that's going to happen to my account? And is that change going to be positive or is that change potentially negative based on, is there a series of people walking out the door at scale or are there a series of people being hired? So there's a new initiatives coming. Um, and again, where did these people come from and their experience levels? So we're not just pinpointing and tracking individual people. It's really looking at accounts for our customers. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, and uh, it is publicly available data and stuff, but just more like from myself coming from a previous startup as well, seeing the way the world was going with privacy, it got me a little bit nervous. And also I didn't feel as comfortable uh, to wanting to do this thing. But I definitely, like I said, there's uh, doing pricing and packaging research. You could see that there was a very strong willingness to pay and a likelihood to buy for a product like this. Like I did, uh, it was one of the ones that was like hard to say like, ah, oh, should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Uh, but yeah, it's very interesting. And actually, it came from the episode uh, as well from Julian Caban. Uh, I think at the time he was at Drift. 
And what they were doing actually at Drift was they were monitoring uh, their accounts when people ended up churning. What they would actually do was like they would follow that person to their new job. They would send them a gift. Like I think you said at the time they were saying like Bose headsets uh, and just a little, with a little note like saying, hey, congrats on the new role. Uh, when you're ready to purchase new software as well, like I'm here, uh, let me know. And the interesting thing was like the ROI on those campaigns that they used to run was apparently something insane because even though you think maybe like a three four hundred dollar uh, headset, uh, but because they were really really strong warm leads, they were typically going into a company. And we also talked about this a little bit that like the typical like shelf life of an employee, specifically in like Silicon Valley, is like eighteen to twenty four months. So people are moving around all the time, and these opportunities. Or everywhere. Like, is this something you see in the data? Like, how frequently uh, are you seeing changes in tracking companies? Yeah. So the average employee is staying under two years. Um, the average chief human resources officers, yeah, sixteen months. The average chief revenue officers, seventeen to eighteen months. But let me actually tell you a story about the inverse or the opportunity cost of not monitoring this, and as well, not formulating strong relationships within your customers. So we have a customer, they're a global CRM company, and they had us monitoring C-level executives that would leave their customer base and go into a prospect. So major Fortune 2000 customers going into major Fortune 2000 prospects. And this could only be a C-level to C-level change. And in the first two months, there were 90 of these particular compelling events that happened. So you had the chief digital officer, chief information officer up and leave and go into prospects. We believe these signals would have been incredible for the sales team. But what happened is a couple months later, this, the net new sales team said, we've been calling in on these particular key stakeholders and they don't know who we are. And we thought, well, how's that possible? This is the economic decision maker that most likely signed off on the deals. But what was happening was the customer success team was single threaded. They were not formulating multi relationships within their customers. Those relationships were up and leaving without even them knowing who this role was, who the people were. They went to the new business and the net new team was like having a cold conversation. So the, the lesson learned for your audience is the efforts that your customer success team puts in today not only protects the core customer because of being multi-threaded, if one person leaves, at least you have other legs to your stool. But when people leave and go to new businesses, one year from now or two years from now, you'll be fueling your net new pipeline growth based on your past customers. So it's critical that you formulate multi-relationship and you track where these customers go. Yeah, absolutely. And there's obviously like that very big opportunity when it comes to growth on the other end of having increasing your customer champion base within an organization, the number you have, and then that's obviously the number you can uh, expect to see come back. I think actually I'm like a good example of this as a customer champion myself of a product called Segment. So uh, if you're familiar with Segment Analytics, I previously used it as a startup of mine. I was like a huge champion of it. I then joined uh, Hotjar and uh, we read our data analytics stack. We introduced Segments. I championed it for them there. And then leaving Segment again, starting a new company and setting up Segment again for the third time. So like 
Um, it's really, really interesting to see. And I think now at the organization of the Hotshot, like Sigmund has a very similar philosophy where they try to expand the number of champions within an account, try to build relationships and contacts uh, there. And I'm sure there are a few. I, th- I think there's a few that dislike it as well, but there's quite a lot of champions within the organization uh, as well. Um, how do you see like your typical customer base then? Are they using the product predominantly more as like a sales opportunity or in terms of like this customer champion monitoring or is it a bit of both? Yeah, so if you look at our early base of customers, we're a business that's less than a year old. Uh, it's primarily technology companies and professional services companies. And the reason being technology companies are early innovators. They've already done the analysis of understanding that their core sales plays, if they look at their go-to-market, some of their best net new opportunities come from past customers. And they also have a scaled group of, of total addressable market of customers and prospects. So that's cohort number one. Cohort number two would be professional services firms. When you're in professional services, you're actually selling yourself first. You're selling relationships as a service. And so because of that, tracking the migration of talent going in and out of businesses is a core function to business development. And that would answer your part two to your question. Primarily, most customers to date are solving for their biggest problem that they think exists, which is I don't have enough pipeline. But I think that a lot of companies haven't really awoken to the fact that net retention revenue is actually the new pipeline creation in a sense that if we actually reduce our churn rate, our demand load needed on net new will diminish. We just don't need to sign as many new customers as we thought. But that hasn't been a core focus for a lot of customers. So they revert back to the problem that they know, my pipeline coverage isn't big enough. I'm not talking to enough past customers. I'm not being objective with my account selection and prioritization. So let's focus on net new first. But we very much for the scaled organizations that that have been using us for a while, they have all scaled this into customer success as well because they've realized I'm just monitoring who goes in, up, and out of every company. Yeah. And are you helping with any tracking when it comes to churn and retention itself, or you're just purely on the uh, relationship side and uh, giving those insights to companies? So, and, yes. and the reason I'm asking this is, or maybe just to have a follow on, is that then, like, are you able then to see like, what churn and retention looks like on accounts depending on the number of champions uh, or number of connections within a, an account? Great question. It's early days. So we're in the midst of collecting that sales intelligence on uh, watching who's leaving. But here's the mathematics that's happening on the earliest leading indicators. The average customer of ours, their CRM is depleting or diminishing at 3% per month. So 3% of all the contacts, champions, influencers, decision makers in each one of your accounts, let's say your customers, are up and leaving and moving to other businesses every month. So if you have a thousand accounts, that means that 30 key stakeholders this month in June, filmed in June of 2022, are up and leaving and have gone somewhere else. And if your sales team, your customer success team, has not been monitoring this, they have lost 
part of that mind committee. And with that person leaving, a priority or an initiative or project just walked out the door as well. And you still don't know who's backfilled that role, friend or foe. So that's the rate of change that you need to be cognizant of. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, and it's a pretty high number, like in, in consideration as well, if you think um, when it comes to like churn and retention and what those rates would look like at typical companies. And if uh, 3% of all the user base or your CRM is replenishing every month, per month, per month yeah. Exactly. That's a, a huge, uh, huge amount of customers like leaving or potentially leaving. But they could be going to other places as well, I guess, that are your customers already. But they can go from one customer to the next. Absolutely. But uh, it's an interesting thing as well. Something that we chat about with Emrico, no, like being able to understand when we talk about trying to reduce channel retention is having a good grasp and understanding of what are the causes for it and uh, then being able to understand what's within your control and what's outside of your control and only focusing then on what's that. Because like, an example of small businesses, somebody going out of business is outside of your control, but somebody leaving a company is within your control because you could have built those relationships and you could have uh, then seen that as a sales opportunity. So super interesting. It also reminds me of another stat around um, company like credit cards expiring. I think it's uh, five on it. It's like the average lifespan is 24 months. So then it's like something like 5% uh, of every credit card on file is expired every month. So that's another reason like, so all of these little reasons, I think when you start to add them up, you start to get a, a clearer picture of like what's really causing churner retention, not just like the churner exit survey that you see at the end of it. It's like we weren't happy with the features. Or So have there been any like particularly surprising learnings since you've been starting this company, working with different organizations and companies specifically on the problem? I think that the one of the biggest learnings is how everything boomerangs back to sales enablement. So you're in the services space for 10 years. I invent social selling, we pioneer it, we scale social selling mastery to 600 global customers and we certify at Sales for Life and certify a quarter million sellers. And what I saw as a sales trainer is that so many tools have what we'll call shelfware. You know, we saw customers spending three to $5 million a year in LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And you would have a Pareto's law of a small cohort of sellers that were actually using it. Same with any other tool in their business. And so our job as a sales training organization is to bring set forth a set of principles, process, strategy, all the way down to tactics. Well, then you launch your own managed service slash SaaS software company. And you realize very quickly how important you not only need to find the right sales intelligence, package it up, route it into their CRM so that the seller can make informed decisions. But then at that moment, you have to spend a lot of time in enabling the seller. What is a signal? Why should you care? What do you do with a signal? What are messaging best practices? How do you follow up? So there's quite a bit of enablement that happens or the best in class are focusing on the enablement of, okay, so you have sales intelligence. How do you make informed decisions with it? And it's all kind of boomerang back to, to realize you can't get away from that problem no matter what you sell. Yeah. And I think that's also like comes to another, I said three, like top three, uh, this was in number one, I'd say by far is always comes down to like sort of activation and onboarding uh, experiences that like, if you really want to make an impact, like 
this is what you hear time and time again is most of it comes down to that. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking to now as well. It's like, yes, you've got it set up now, but like, how do you actually extract the value? Because the value is not having uh, the signals, the value is saving that customer or uh, closing that deal. And how do you take advantage uh, of that? Um, question I ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join a new company, churn retention is not doing great at this company. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Jamini, uh, we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. What do you do? The catch, you're not going to tell me that I'm going to go speak to customers or look at data, find the biggest pain point and start there. You're just going to use a tactic that you've seen work at a previous company and run with that blindly, hoping it works and applies at this new place. What would you do? That's a great question. Um, we at Sales for Life, I, and I'm trying to recall a very, I want to give your audience something juicy. So at Sales for Life, um, about year three in, I remember as the CEO, we would win a new customer. And I would almost cringe thinking in the next couple of weeks, I'm either going to get one of two emails. They're having an incredible experience or they're having a poor experience. And I think if I thought through the root cause of why that was happening <clears throat> at Sales for Life is we were not contextualizing our solution enough to their world. There wasn't enough what we'll call white glove service. Um, we would win in a customer. It was like we sold them a cookie box. We would give them the cookie box and just say, you're going to learn our process this way. So with that learning, we spent a crazy amount of time, money and energy making sure that the onboarding, a collection of their world and then reading it back to them and integrating their world into Sales for Life happened. And since then, it is near, it's so rare to ever hear somebody say, this isn't an incredible, uh, training solution. So I know that was long-winded. That's probably where I would start. I would start to recognize that we are probably selling round pegs into square holes and we're selling it over and over again to any willing buyer. So what I would do is an exercise uh, that somebody gave me called will. It stands for what does ideal look like? And what we did is we created a graph and it started from the type of person and the people that were invited into the sales calls. How long were the sales calls, the number of meetings, what content they consumed before they got to purchase. And then all these milestones, were they on time for launch one, two, three? Did they bring other key stakeholders? There was about 25 data points. We plugged in all of our customers into the spreadsheet. So I'm maybe breaking one of your rules around data. <laughs> what we did was we found two or three things that had a great commonality. And we focused on not only finding those type of customers, but I, I'm probably rambling here. What I would most likely do is focus in on, on the day we sign somebody, we need to better collect intelligence from them to make sure that what we just sold them, we can properly integrate to get to the moment of aha, like fast, 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 get them something of value uh, very, very quickly. That, that's that's probably what I would do. That, so that 
yeah that, i would Sorry. i would yeah. so to summarize that a little bit it's like um you would really try to understand what the ideal customer profile looks like try to collect as much data from them to understand what are they trying to achieve from your product or service so that you could then work to deliver that to get them to that aha moment as fast as possible i would just try to give them or integrated white glove. white glove service um, even if it costs me more gross margin uh, and cost of goods sold or cost of delivery, yeah. I would put somebody in place uh, as a human being to say, we're not perfect, you're not perfect. We're going to spend time together to make sure that we integrate better together uh, for the longevity of the partnership. And I've and we're doing a lot of that with Pipeline Signals. And I think that customers say to themselves, like, at least they're here to help. Like, they'll do anything they can to help. Yeah. Awesome. What's one thing you know today about churner retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Well, uh, this is the easiest. Sales for life is in the training space. And the sales training space did not traditionally have um, recurring revenue. It had reoccurring revenue, so customers that would go from project one to project two to project three, but it wasn't recurring. And when we started Pipeline Signals, this was from day one an MRR recurring revenue product, and that we were going to make it monthly at Pipeline Signals because annual contracts are not a great indicator to true net retention and net high net promotion and going to stay over and over again. So I would make my contract shorter. It would force us learning faster. We would have churn higher at first, but we would learn faster as to what really makes a customer want to stay with you longer. And we would have iterated faster. So I would make my pricing counterintuitive. I would make it more month to month um and recurring right away and it would show in the data what i'm doing wrong and i'd be able to focus there i guess yeah it's an interesting take i think definitely like if you have the luxury and the revenue to support that but i think a lot of time you just want to in the early days you want to grab as much money as you can you do, but uh, then and- suffer years down the road because you you didn't have enough iterative cycles to learn like yeah well, why I, aren't I, doing- I can see it being like uh, it has its pros and cons for sure. So one is like the real learning. The other side is like in the early days, you really just need those like fuel to pour on the fire and uh, you can end up burning through uh, some bad customers and bad takes. But yeah, I like the aspect of just like seeing it as a learning opportunity, learning cost, uh, if you want to put it that way. Cool. Um, well, Jamie, is there any sort of final thoughts or anything you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of before we wrap up today? No, I think that the, the, what I would leave your listeners with is recognize that people make decisions in businesses. Companies don't make the decision, it's people. And so if you track the human capital and the people, you'll get a very good sense to whether a priority is about to change in your customer, thus a leading indicator to, to churn, or uh, if in fact it's quite stable based on human capital. And that will allow you to better plan 90 days out to what could be happening in your business. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. And definitely for the listeners, we'll make sure to leave any links uh, from what we mentioned today in the show notes. So you can check that out. Uh, As I mentioned as well, like this is definitely a top three uh, pain points and problem when it comes to churn and retention is your customer champions. So 
uh, anything we can do to sort of figure that out and understand a little bit better. Fascinated that over 3% of like the CRMs are diminishing on a monthly basis as well. So thanks very much for joining, Jamie. It's been a pleasure hosting you today and I wish you best of luck now as you grow the company. Thank you so much. You take care. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.